Greetings, Northlings, and welcome to Haunted Up North. host, Victoria, presenting herself for supernatural story-spinning duty from the north of the British Isles. Today's scary story is, surprisingly, from the north of the British Isles, unlike the last three, which doesn't make them any less awesome. But if you've tuned in to listen to this podcast, hoping to hear some spooky northern narratives, you've come to the right place. This episode is for you. Because this Haunted Up North instalment has, for some reason, frightened me just a little bit more than the average one. Before we begin, there's always a before we begin. I read in the news, as we all have recently, that King Charles III, the current King of Britain, has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Many of you know (laughs) I have a warped fondness for taking the mick out of the way I presume royal types speak, and last week I took the mick out of the way I presume King Charles, the current King Charles, says the word ghosts. As I did with the Queen, here it is. Ghosts, if you weren't already aware, is how King Charles pronounces the word ghosts. Silly boy. As you just heard, it's, it's absolutely hilarious. But although I'm personally not much of a royalist, which is probably why I make these unhilarious, <laughs> intentionally light-hearted quips about royal people's accents, this joke was made before the news broke of the King's cancer diagnosis, and I definitely wouldn't have made it at this particular point in time if I had known before. It's obviously impossible to predict the future, and who knew that was going to happen, but I do know that you don't have to be a royalist to understand that cancer is rubbish. Prostate cancer isn't something that just affects kings, it affects everybody, whether you've been diagnosed with the disease yourself or lost someone close to it, as I have. So please know that my unhilarious King Charles Michael taking wasn't delivered with the knowledge of his cancer diagnosis in mind. This will also probably teach me to think twice before merrily mocking the accents of royals. Probably. But not definitely. But anyway... Here's the story, which you might have already ascertained from the title of this episode, concerns another King Charles, King Charles II, the previous King Charles, who reigned in Scotland, England and Ireland from 1660 till 1685. Pencate Castle, currently known as Fountain Hall, is a 16th century mansion located near Pencateland, a village about 20 miles east of Edinburgh, Scotland's spellbinding capital. Originally called Woodhead, it served as the residence of Sir George Cockburn of Ormiston and his family. According to legend, a relative of Sir George, John Cockburn, committed murder against another family member, John Seaton. Consequently, in 1635, Sir George opted to sell the mansion, sometime after which it was granted to Lord Fountainhall, who bestowed upon it his family name. By 1695, Sir Andrew Lauder, a direct descendant of the Fountainhall family, 
assumed ownership of the estate, and it remained under their possession for over two centuries, until the early 1920s. When author Professor Ian Holborn and his wife Marion bought the home, he named it Pencake Castle, however, subsequent owners opted to revert to the original name of Fountain Hall, which it remains known as to this day. Like many ancient castles, Penke is subject to rumours of hauntings, with tales of restless spirits who met tragic ends lurking within its walls. After Professor and Mrs Holborn became the proud owners of Pencake Castle in 1922, their initial excitement was quickly replaced by an eerie feeling of unease, as they started to hear strange sounds echoing through the large house. On occasion, the Holborns would hear strange and inexplicable tapping or rattling sounds. On one Christmas Eve in 1923, the family was singing carols by the fire when a piece of oak measuring seven inches by six inches on which the family crest was carved moved forward from the wall without explanation, paused for a moment before returning to its original position. Another peculiar incident unfolded when one of the bathrooms was found engulfed in steam as though a hot water tap had been turned on for a prolonged period of time, then abruptly shut off. Despite the apparent activity, the bathtub remained utterly dry, and although sounds had been heard emanating from within the bathroom, there was no evidence of anyone having been present during this occurrence. In a chamber dubbed the middle room, the Holborns were startled one night by an unsettling scratching noise coming from the door. Assuming it was their Siamese cat seeking entry, Professor Holborn moved to open the door, only for it to violently swing open of its own accord. Simultaneously, another door at the opposite end of the room was forcefully thrown open, and a nearby curtain billowed as if caught in a gust of wind, followed by the echoing sound of phantom footsteps dashing down the passageway outside. When we first came here in 1923, we were often disturbed by the sounds of heavy footsteps going about the house, and the sound of something heavy and soft being dragged along, said Mrs Holborn, in a report by J.W. Henry's published in the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research in October 1947. Various people who occupied the house in our absence complained of hearing shrieks, heavy footsteps and groans, and doors shut and locked at night were found open in the morning. The first mention of the ghost goes back more than 300 years, when a former owner, Sir Andrew Dick Lauder, then aged nine, saw a ghost standing on the hearth in his bedroom. The ghost apparently did not reappear till we came into residence in 1922. Then we all, including our three student sons, decided that such a romantic house must have a ghost. We collected mysterious happenings. It was sort of a game. Then some of our visitors became scared and added their own experiences. An occurrence which I am inclined to treat more seriously was possibly a vivid nightmare. My daughter-in-law, who is psychic was nursing my aged mother and sleeping in the same room. One night she thought she saw a very small man, dressed in a sort of grey cloak, emerge from a deep powder closet and cross the room. She was terrified that he would attack her patient, but he passed the end of the bed and went out of the door to her great relief. I've heard that Lord Fountainhall, one of the former owners, was an exceptionally small and very terrifying man. A year or two ago, A neighbour, Mrs Taylor, helped with the spring cleaning. She and a woman who lived in the house were sitting on the edge of a bed 
when a man looked in at the door and glanced around the room. Mrs. Taylor looked at her companion, who evidently saw nothing. The man went on down the stairs. The clock on the landing below, which has not run for 30 years, then started striking and continued for a long time. Mrs. Taylor said the man was shadowy, but she could see the shape of his lower limbs clearly, as if he were wearing knickerbockers or knee breeches. Sorry. So, if Pencake Castle is truly haunted by supernatural forces, what manner of spectre or spectres could be accountable for such peculiar sounds and sights? It is believed that the most prominent wraith responsible for the eerie happenings is the ghost of John Cockburn, the mansion's former owner and rumoured murderer of his relative by marriage, John Seaton, whose restless spirit is said to be trapped in the castle's foundations due to his overwhelming guilt and troubled conscience, which prevents him from finding peace in the afterlife. His spectral form is said to be particularly drawn to a specific cupboard, from which it sometimes emerges to traverse the room before inexplicably vanishing through a wall. Another tale recounts the apparition of Alexander Hamilton, a local beggar who sought food and shelter at Pencate during the time the Ormiston family owned the property, but was harshly dismissed without assistance and turned away empty-handed. Legend has it that in an act of revenge, he snuck into the castle at night and tied the gates shut with a mysterious blue thread. The ritualistic nature of the act led many to believe it was associated with witchcraft, especially after Lady Ormiston and her eldest daughter tragically succumbed to an unknown illness just two days later. Alexander Hamilton stood trial for the two deaths and was executed for witchcraft at Castle Hill, Edinburgh. It is said that his ghost revisits Pancate on certain nights, manifesting as a shadowy silhouette by the gates. Numerous peculiar occurrences within the castle, however, are intricately linked to a bed once occupied by King Charles II. Multiple tales, documented over the years, recount frightening phenomena unfolding within the walls of the chamber containing the bed, which seems to have served as a focal point for much of the castle's spectral activity. The bed itself was gifted to Professor Holborn by his students, travelling with him to the castle when he bought it. Elaborately carved with remarkable attention to detail, it carries what appears to be a pair of death masks of Charles II's father, King Charles I, on the base. The bed was deposited in a large room on the third floor, where it remained positioned directly above Professor and Mrs Holborn's ground floor bedroom. The couple had been living in their new home for a few months, when they began to notice strange sounds coming from the unoccupied room upstairs. The noises were unsettling and consisted of what seemed like furniture being moved around or somebody stumbling and groping about the room. The following statement from Marion Holborn was recorded concerning the strange phenomena of the King Charles room in the same 1947 report by J.W. Henrys. About 1924, Professor and Mrs. Holborn went to visit the island of Fula, which Professor Holborn had purchased in 1901. A cousin was left in the house. In the course of his stay there, on taking a visitor up to see the King Charles bed, he found the bedclothes disarranged, as if the bed had not been made. He drew the attention of the daughter of the gardener to this fact. She is Mrs Anderson and lives in an adjoining cottage. It was part of her duty to remake the bed after it had been slept in. 
she asserted that she had left the bed properly made up. Shortly afterwards, a visitor got permission to take a photograph, and on going up to the room with him, the cousin, again, found the bedclothes disarranged. Again, it was made up by Mrs. Anderson. A day or so later, the visitor who had taken the photograph reported that it had been underexposed and returned to take another photograph. On going up to the room, they again found that the bed clothing had been disarranged. Mrs. Anderson once more made up the bed, and Mr. Holborn's cousin took the precaution of locking the two doors giving access to the room and seeing that the windows were well secured. Two bricks were placed against the main door. Next day, it was found that the bricks were displaced, and again the bed clothing was disarranged. On another occasion, a heavy antique cabinet in the room, very difficult to move, was found six inches away from the wall. A brass ewer and basin which Mrs. Holborn's grandfather had bought from Turkey had stood on top of the cabinet, and this ewer was found on its side. In the same set of statements, Mrs. Holborn also stated, About 1925, Avis Dolphin, a survivor of the Lusitania disaster, who lived with us for a number of years, was sleeping in the King Charles bed. My husband and I slept in the room beneath. One night, Avis came to our door to say there was someone moving about on the ground floor. My husband got up and they went downstairs to investigate. On returning, when they reached the second floor, they stood on the stairs and listened. From the room above, they heard the unmistakable creaking sounds of a person turning over in the King Charles bed, which the girl had just vacated. One evening, when Avis was coming upstairs in the dark, she felt a light touch on her neck, like someone gently drawing a tip of a finger across her throat. That same year, I sometimes saw faint, shimmering lights in the passages. In 1935, a lady who was recovering from an illness was sleeping in the King Charles bed, and my brother slept in the room below. About 5am he came to me and said, I think Mrs R has fallen out of bed and is knocking for help. I found the lady sleeping soundly in her bed. In 1946, Mrs Holborn's son Alastair, being a student at the Edinburgh College of Art, invited a group of fellow undergraduates to stay overnight at Pencake Castle and rehearse a forthcoming play they were appearing in. While attempting to sleep that very same night, Mrs Holborn heard loud and continuous noises coming from the King Charles room and assumed that the group of young people was responsible for the seemingly disrespectful disturbances. The next morning, however, Miss Pat T and Miss Jocelyn L.S., who had occupied the room with the King Charles bed, gave the following account of their experiences there to Mr. Henry's. They had two candles in the room, one on either side of the bed, also an oil heater. The room felt very cold. They went to bed but could not sleep, and they lay awake and talked. They noticed, sometime after going to bed, about 2am, a large, broad stain on the wall opposite the bed. It was on the right-hand side of the fireplace, beginning a little below the cornice and extending halfway down the wall, tapering toward the bottom. It suggested, to some extent, a section of the paper having come off the wall and hanging down. The walls were light in shade, and this patch was a dark brown colour. Next night, they noticed it was gone. 
They experimented with the candles to see if it could be explained by a mere shadow, but were unable to secure anything like it. They further stated that about midnight, they heard an extraordinary sound, like something going down a slope. They heard this sound repeated from time to time. They also heard sounds like footsteps in the room above. Miss Myra B was in the long room, on the same floor as the King Charles room. She shared it with Miss Ray B. Miss Myra B stated that she heard the trundling sound overhead. It had a rhythmic character. She heard it only once and she was scared. There were also noises and creaks, such as are given out by furniture. The room was cold, she said, and I had a feeling that we were never quite alone. Miss Pat T commented on another matter. I had with me, she said, a square clock. It has gone regularly ever since I went to school. I packed it on Sunday morning and it was going then. I took it out at Pancake and wound it. It never went more than five minutes during our stay. Miss Pat T said she tried to get the clock to go several times. Mr. Holborn remarked that no clock would go placed on the wall between the dining room and the next room. Even a watch hung up on that wall would not go. So... Can we confidently add Charles II's ghost to the list of ghosts haunting Pencake Castle after his elaborate four-poster bed arrived there? If the bed did truly belong to him, which it probably did, because of the presence of death masks... It could indicate some sort of special importance to him, that bed. Perhaps it was his special bed. His second best bed, perhaps. Which is, according to Shakespeare fans, even better than your best bed. He was a bit of a Lothario, (laughs) was King Charles II. I'm sure it was a lot more complicated and possibly non-consensual than that by today's standards, but he's definitely gone down in history as a prolific... I guess exploiter of women through numerous romantic entanglements. But if he was haunting his second best bed complete with death mask accessories, perhaps that's why his sheets kept getting rumpled, because of all the spiritual rumpy-pumpy going on in the imperial afterlife. If you've ever watched the TV show Extraordinary, there's a very funny episode where Carrie, a character who has the ability to act as a conduit for ghosts, played by the amazing Sophia Oxenham, is voluntarily possessed by the ghost of King Charles II and it's one of my favourite parts of that show because it's so well acted, she's brilliant and it's hilariously saucy (laughs) in terms of Charles II's saucy mannerisms and Sophia Oxenham just does it so well. So I would highly recommend you watching it to give you a comedic flavour of Charles II's seductive character. It's obviously a very simplistic and lowest common denominator view of King Charles II's promiscuity, but it does still give a nod to the power of a sexual predator's persuasion over young, vulnerable females. It all ends okay in the episode, by the way. Carrie the Conduit survives unscathed. Another ghost who may have entered his name into the ghoulish guestbook of Pencake Castle Phantoms is that of Professor Holborn himself who died on the 14th of September 1935. During the evening of Professor Holborn's funeral, footsteps echoed along the path outside the property, and the front door mysteriously swung open and closed. Despite a thorough search, no explanation for the sounds could be found, and when the Holborn's son returned from investigating, he brought the household cat inside, which seemed visibly distressed. 
cowering beneath the table with its tail thrashing in fear. Perhaps it was Professor Holborn coming home for his tea, like a Bruce Willis. An interesting fact about Professor Holborn, uh, you might remember I mentioned Avis Dolphin earlier on in the episode. Dolphin. <laughs> uh, Avis Dolphin was a survivor of the RMS Lusitania, a Cunard ocean liner that sunk on the 7th of May 1915 when it was torpedoed by a German U-boat during the First World War. Nearly 2,000 passengers died as a result of the disaster, but Avis Dolphin and, it seems, Professor Holbin, who was also on board as a second-class passenger, survived. During the voyage, he befriended Avis Dolphin, who was 12 years old at the time, and accompanied by two nurses. Recognising the wartime risks faced by ocean liners like the Lusitania, and despite only being a passenger, Professor Holborn apparently tried to urge Captain William Thomas Turner to implement safety measures, such as lifeboat drills and instructions on wearing life jackets. However, his attempts to raise awareness were met with resistance. When the ship was torpedoed, Holborn guided Avis Dolphin and her nurses to safety, providing them with life belts and even sacrificing his own. Despite his efforts, tragedy struck as the lifeboat they boarded capsized while being lowered into the water resulting in the loss of the nurses, though Avis was ultimately saved. It was at this point that Holborn entered the water amidst wreckage and bodies, and after stopping to help a struggling man, he reached safety, only to find the man who he had pulled alongside him had perished. Rescued by the fishing boat, Wanderer of Peel, and later transferred to the Stormcock, Holborn and Avis were among the 750 survivors from the Lusitania, who arrived in Queenstown Island that night. That's an interesting fact about our guy Holborn. Obviously very sad and disastrous, but it's kind of cool when you find a fascinating story behind another fascinating one. Pancake Castle, now known as Fountain Hall, is still a private residence, so I'm afraid you can't visit it unless you're friends with the current owners. There aren't that many recent pictures of it online. You can find the exact coordinates if you do some internet ferreting, so (laughs) you can look at it from the sky if you like. It seems like it's right next to quite a bit of woodland, so it must be a very nice place to live. The mansion was sold in 1956 after the death of Marion Holborn to the family of the current owners, so I don't know what happened to the King Charles bed. I really want it. Actually, maybe I don't. No, I don't want it. Maybe I just want to know where it is so I can look at it. If the current owners of Pencake Castle, aka Fountain Hall, are listening, please let me know if you still have a haunted bed in your house. And let me know if you, the listener, have a haunted bed in your house at hauntedupnorth at gmail.com and I'll read it out on the show. The winner of our magnificent prize draw will be announced in our next episode, though it will have definitely been announced on all our podcast socials by that point. I'm not even sure of the exact day this episode's going out, but announcements or nay, someone will be the recipient of a rather attractive Haunted Up North mug. Right. Stopping now. Bedtime. Tired. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for letting me inject a bit of Pen Caitlin's soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones, and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live Fountain Hall and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you to always check your bed for inappropriate death masks. Sleep tight, and don't let the bed ghosts bite.
Mimi, 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 mimi.